This morning I want to direct you to Romans chapter 7. The seventh chapter of Romans. We'll be picking up the passage at verse 14. Romans chapter 7. We'll begin at verse 14. Follow along, please, as we read the scriptures. In fact, we don't often practice it this way, but when Ezra in the Old Testament took out the scriptures and began to read, everybody stood in honor of the one for whom the scriptures speak. Let us stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Romans chapter 7 at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not want, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do, do, I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want, it is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members Another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Our great Father, thank you. A portion of Scripture is difficult, but it is well worth our time. So I pray your blessing upon your word, that which we lack in knowledge to speak, I pray that you would give it. For that which we would lose if we do not pay attention. I pray that we would, with ears, have hear, would hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May you be honored through your word and through this servant. For I thank you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. 
It seems we've been away from our study in Romans for too long of a time. It also seems that in such a time as being away from our study, we lose memory of ground we have already traveled. And it will do us well to review, if but for a moment, the journey we've already embarked upon, a journey that begins with the horrific indictment that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It would appear that from the time those words were written to the church in Rome, that mankind has not risen above those words, but have surely slid down underneath, if you will, the weight of condemnation to the place that now sin is even applauded. And righteousness is not desired. We are also reminded that under the curse of the act of one man, sin has reigned as an unchecked villain intent on taking the spoils of the spirits of mankind. So to fill his coffer, if you will, with despair and of hopelessness. So strong is this curse that even the best works of man fall painfully short in achieving what only one man could do to come and pay the full price for the lostness of man. And that man is Jesus Christ. For in the eternal plan of God, we see the working of God's redemption of man in what is referred to as justification. And that could only be attained by grace through faith. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God's once and for all declaration of freedom from the penalty of sin is by faith endowed on any person who will believe in what God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. The price of redemption of man has been met in full, and so stands the declaration that whosoever will may come. Now, our journey begins again. This time... What has been attained faces a new challenge. The new, this new challenge is faced with truth of sanctification, which is a continual growing process which each born-again believer, follower of Jesus Christ, must travel. Not with the might of what we can muster up in our own strength, but with a heavenly strength that is supported by the word of God and enablement of the Holy Spirit. In and of ourselves, our best efforts will come once again, keep us from reaching the goal of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now faced with the reality of our being conformed, we struggle with ever-present battle that lies in us, wondering if there's any hope of success, or is this Christian life only full of despair 
and failure. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, in the very first verse, Jesus declares to his disciples these words, temptations to sin are sure to come. And in this process of growing, we ask ourselves the question, why is this happening? Thus, we find our study beginning at the mile marker of Romans chapter 7. And from this passage, I wish to bring to light two clear and I trust helpful points that will may bring some light to the ever-present strife that born-again followers of Jesus Christ must deal with and wants to grow in the grace of God. Chapter 7 of Romans, we have a, as we have a picture of what one Bible teacher calls a powerless sanctification. In this chapter, we see two points that are made clear. The first point we need to know is that there are shackles of a safe soul. And the second point we need to know is that there are struggles of a safe soul. Shackles and struggles. These don't sound very appealing to us, but at the same time, we need to be made aware of what we are up against in order to rise above those things that continually wish to defeat us. I trust that by the time we're finished this morning, you'll be able to say what a close friend just recently said to me, it is good to feel well again. For we take so much for granted, hour to hour and moment to moment. Our passage in Romans 7 opens with a question in verse 1. It says, do you not know, brothers? Do you not know? The Apostle Paul is writing to believers who, according to this admonishment, should know something. That which the apostle is writing about is the false belief that if anyone can fully fulfill the requirements of the law, that person will come into favor with God. You might have perused your eyes to the end of chapter 6 where Paul leaves that glorious Chapter by saying, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, oh, by the way, do you know, brothers? The problem with this thought was already discussed in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. That mankind is both found guilty of imputed sin and incapable of keeping the law in order to gain favor with God. Romans chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, it's also pointless to think that we can go on living the way we want because we become slaves to that which we desire to follow. Paul starts in chapter 6, verse 1. Should we sin that grace might abound? God forbid. 
And so now coming to our two thoughts this morning, the first one I wish to, to uh, discuss with you, it won't be much of a discussion because you're not going to be answering me back, maybe underneath your breath, I don't know, but it's just listen. First of all is the shackles of a saved soul. The shackles of a saved soul. The first thing we need to realize is the Apostle Paul, from verses 1 of chapter 7 all the way to verse 13, he is saying that law cannot produce sanctification in the life of a believer. It merely shackles it. The law cannot produce sanctification in the life of a believer. Neither can the believer produce sanctification in his life depending on just the desires of the new nature. We can say all we want, I want to grow in Jesus, but we find ourselves shackled because of things that happen. So just saying you want to grow in Christ does not mean you will. Too often, born-again followers of Jesus Christ look to the precepts of the law for their foundation of spiritual growth. They create a list of spiritual do's and don'ts which they feel, if followed correctly, they've gained a foothold on following Jesus Christ. But notice what the law does. Even though God's law is holy, just and good, the sinner's subjection to it results only in condemnation because the law and its justice uncovers every transgression and failure. And you already know that by now, every time we sense a failure in our spiritual growth, the enemy is close at hand to condemn you and even to ask you the question, are you really a follower of Christ? The law reveals the need for salvation, seeing there is no possible way for any one of us can keep the full extent of the law. And in breaking one of them, the scriptures tells us that we've broken them all. Trying to keep the whole extent of the law only reveals the failings of the heart as well as the shackling of the Christians to a post of continued hopelessness. Only one can become trapped in a life of continual failure and despair, even to the point of what's the use? I'm reminded of a, an account, a story, that Ringley Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus at one time boasted of having the largest elephant in captivity. Once the elephant was caught and brought to the States, they put the heaviest chain they could around its foot and they staked it to a stake that was driven into the ground so never to be taken up. And the elephant continued day after day 
moment after moment pulling on that chain and would not release. Finally, for despair, the elephant gave up. The chain was then replaced with just a piece of rope tied around the elephant's foot and not staked to anything. The elephant was convinced it couldn't go anywhere unless its master took it there. In us trying our best to lead the Christian life by trying to follow the law, we are pulling on something that cannot be loosened. And pretty soon, the forces of darkness will just tie a string around your foot and you'll say, what's the use? We are shackled. The shackles of life of a believer person. But let me once again just remind you that sanctification is a lifelong process of a born-again follower of Jesus Christ so that one is set free from the power of sin over one's life. The question on the table is this, how does that happen? Notice the apostles' words in verses 10 through 11 where it says the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. How tragic. Every instance of growth in Jesus Christ when met with a requirement of the law instead of grace and faith brings a condemnation and a defeat because it cannot meet the requirements of the law for spiritual growth. Again, let me just articulate that the law of God is holy. It is just. It is good. But the law is not a freeing force. It is a condemning string. Which brings us to our second point this morning. The struggles of a saved soul. Here we have the conflict of two natures. The old nature and the new nature. Both natures are given the pronoun I. The old nature is described in the phrase, I do the very thing I hate. The new nature is described in the phrase, I do not, I do, not do what I want. You've got to be clear. I do not do what I want. Have you ever had that experience, that, that struggle in your life? Oh, I hope I'm not the only one standing before you. I'm, I'm bare before you. That conflict rages continually. It never ceases. 
One moment when we think we have it cornered, we find out that it has flipped the switch and has cornered us. That which I don't want to do, I find myself doing and I hate it. And that which I want to do, I desire to do, I find myself not doing it. That's the battle. That's the struggle of a saved soul. We can, when sometimes we cry out, oh God, how I failed you. I truly believe that the passage in verses 14 to 25 is a testimony of the life of the Apostle Paul. We, unfortunately, sort of try to hold him up to a pinnacle of perfection. He's there now. But at the time of his writing, he's sharing with us his own life that he has not yet attained everything. From his conversion in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, as Jesus Christ met him there. And then as he went to see Ananias, who brought to him the healing words that all of a sudden what he could not see, now he can see. And for the three years that he spent on the desert, just him, the Holy Spirit. I'd love to have been in that class. Teaching him things that Jesus had already said to Ananias what God was going to use Paul for to be a witness before kings and princes and yes, Gentiles. But you might remember as the Apostle Paul's ministry began, he and Barnabas took with them an individual by the name of John Mark. A young individual in the faith. I'm sure that Barnabas and the Apostle Paul were kind of interested in making sure that John Mark would grow in his spiritual well-being. But there was a time when the Apostle Paul had had enough, and he said, away with John Mark. Barnabas took him, and, and then John Mark went with Barnabas, and the Apostle Paul gained another. I wonder if in those moments of time that the Apostle Paul struggled, struggled with his pride, maybe, Struggled with his own strong personality. You have to remember the Apostle Paul was next in line to be the high priest of all of Israel. He was taught of the best teachers of the law. He was the one who was traveling around trying to bring to, quote, justice those who were followers of the way. He was on his way to Damascus to bring those who were part of Jesus Christ, bring them back to Jerusalem, and in many cases cause them to be put to death. This is the Apostle Paul who's writing now, who says, that which I wish I could do, I find myself not doing. 
and that which I should be doing. The battle, the struggle within. If we were to venture back to chapter 6 of Romans, we would see that the Apostle Paul would even share with us this morning a secret in verse 13. That in order to grow in the glory and wonder of Jesus Christ, it is found in yielding our members, presenting ourselves to Christ, and allowing the Spirit of God to live the Christian life through us. Shackles and struggles. I can't leave you there because you may not come back next week. But I do want to draw two conclusions in our passage this morning, if I may, in a time that remains. There are two things we need to learn in our struggle. First is this. In verse 18, chapter 7 there is no good thing that dwells in me. None. That old nature that we've been talking about still dwells within us. Someone help me with an amen. Are you in a struggle this morning? <laughs> yes. Oh, how many times we struggle with the idea that in the flesh we can do something that will please God. Our life can become as busy as a bee, but we're not making any honey. We can become so occupied and being busy that we miss the vital connection with the person of Christ and the life of Christ is not being lived in us because we are so compulsive in trying to do things in the strength of our own flesh. Let me make this personal to all of you. Anything that Douglas Wigand does in the flesh, God hates. God won't have it. God can't use it. When it is of the flesh, it is no good. You might remember the words of Jesus that are recorded in John chapter 3 and verse 6, where Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And quite frankly, it will always be flesh. But in 1 John 3, 9, it says, whosoever is born of God, does not commit sin. Now, before, no, this pastor is not suggesting sinless perfection. But what I am offering to you is this. The old nature does and cannot 
forever be rid of sin. The old nature continually desires to sin because that is what has been corrupted by sin. But the new nature, on the other hand, is what has been implanted in the believer in which the new nature hates sin and it cannot put up with sin because the new nature comes from Jesus Christ and led by the Holy Spirit of God. We are saved by and indwelt with an incorruptible seed implanted into the very depths of our soul. The new nature won't let me sleep at night when I allow the old nature to gain hold. The new nature says, look, you were wrong. You have to make it right. Sometimes the new nature uses my wife to say the same thing. There was a time when I was to be the the guest soloist at a Bible conference for the week. I also led the singing of the congregation. And one of the evenings I noticed that there were some rowdy young people that as we were singing As I was directing the congregation, they were mocking what we were singing. And I thought that one of my daughters was part of that group. After the meeting of that night, I sought out my daughter to correct her. It was later that evening that the new nature in my wife said, you were wrong. She was not there. Don't you just hate it when the new nature awakens in you? (laughs) I had to apologize to my daughter before I could fall asleep. And then... Before the morning session, I had to go and apologize to those rowdy teenagers. Eating crow is not a very tantalizing meal, but it sure does the heart good. Do you remember the words of the Apostle Paul penned in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he wrote, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. Our position in Christ is new Because we're no longer lost in sin. Our power in Christ is new because we're no longer held by the old nature. Because we now have a new nature. We are no longer condemned by sin because we are now a child of the living God. I trust you're getting my point this morning, dear brothers and sisters. We do have a struggle. 
But we need not be overtaken by the struggle if only we will allow the Holy Spirit of God to reign and to rule in our mortal bodies. We have been set free. Amen and hallelujah. The second thing we need to learn about our struggle is this. True deliverance and victory for living this sanctified life can only come through Jesus Christ. Even the new nature that every born-again follower of Jesus Christ is in constant battle with the evil of the old nature where only lives to lust after sin. The new nature can only be activated against such a battle if one who has trusted Jesus Christ for his or her salvation will realize that living the sanctified life is by and through Jesus Christ alone. It is living a sanctified life, not because I have to, which is of the law, but because I want to, due to the love that Christ has bestowed upon me. That is of the Spirit. When one cries out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, who will rescue me from the body of death? This is the cry of a saved individual who is exhausted from the struggle and helpless in their own strength and is outwardly desiring to be rescued. It is this person who finds victory in Jesus Christ when he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has provided deliverance. Your cry has not fallen on deaf ears. God, through Jesus Christ, can come to your rescue. The question is, will you let him? The struggle is real, but the victory has already been provided. Lord willing, next week we will engage in our understanding just how our deliverance is provided for in Jesus Christ when we go to Romans chapter 8. The battle rages on but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ may we stand as we are dismissed in prayer gracious and glorious father it is through your Son, our Savior, whereby we can say Amen and Hallelujah. The struggle is real. The battle rages on day after day. It almost seems moment after moment. And we wonder if ever we can rise above it. But you've provided for us 
that which we need in order to live in a sanctified life for you. I pray, O oh God, for these people of yours, that in this coming week they would find more victories than defeats. That they would look to you for the strength that they need in order to complete a journey that you have them on. May it be our passion to desire to live for you, not that we have to, but that we want to. Because all that you have done for us. And in that, we find the beginning of being able to walk victoriously. Oh, wretched man that I am, yes. Who can deliver me from this body of death? Thank you, Jesus. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.